All right, Central, how are we doing this morning? It is so good to have you. It is so good to be here. Uh, my name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors who gets the opportunity to speak around here. I'm so excited to be here and to be with you. I do want to welcome those of you joining us online. Uh, you're a part of the Central family, and it's exciting to have you as well. As we continue the series that Judd kicked off last week for us that's called Back in Black. Now, if you're here last week, we got to rock out a little bit to Back in Black, which was, was, was a lot of fun. But, but here's kind of the idea of this series. It's a financial series that's really designed to help us really live in a black. And so if you're familiar at all with these financial terms, there's this term about what it means to live in the red versus live in the black. Living in the red when, is when there is more going out than there is coming in. Uh, living in the red is when I'm pretty stressed out because I don't know how to pay the bills at the end of the month. Uh, living in the red is when things are in the negative, things are not looking good. It, it tends to be like a, a season of overwhelming pressure and stress. <laughs> Nobody wants to live in the red. And so really this whole series designed with, regardless if we're living in the red right now, how do we get back in black? Now, living in the black means that I've got more coming in than going out. Uh, living in the black means that at the end of the month, I've paid all the bills, there's actually still money left. Uh, living the black means that there's far less pressure, there's far less stress, there's far more freedom. And so no matter where we're at in our journey, our hope is that when we lean into and apply these really powerful biblical principles, that we can experience the freedom that God really desired for all of us to experience. Now, when I think about kind of this and, and what this looks like, uh, there's really one thing that challenges us to live in the black consistently. And if you've ever been in a season where, where you've got a lot of press, there's something that keeps kind of pushing in on us. Uh, there's an article that came out this week. It was published by CNBC. It came out on Tuesday. The timing couldn't have been better for me as, as I was preparing this particular message. And as I was reading this article, this article was titled that one out of three Americans doesn't have enough money to make it to their next paycheck. Almost 33%. And if you dive into the article and you look at it, it breaks it up into every single income bracket imaginable, all the way from those who make the less than $15,000 a year to those who make well over $200,000 a year. And what's interesting is that every single income bracket had the exact same percentage of people who are going to run out of money before the next paycheck. In other words, living in the red has nothing to do with the level of income that people have uh, living in the red is, is really about a, another principle that's at play. And if you, again, looked at this article, for those who uh, made between forty dollars and $50,000 a year, 28% of those individuals ran out of money before the next paycheck. They, they were living in the red. For those who made over $200,000 in a year, those individuals actually had a higher percentage of people living in the red. It was 32%. And it's kind of astonishing, right, that, that we, see, we, we tend to think if we just have more money, that's what it's going to take to get us back in the black. But the reality is there are some important financial principles that, that are not in play in your life when you make $40,000 a year. It won't change the scenario at all if you make $400,000 a year. And so it's really important that we lean into what are these principles and how do we lean into in such a way that we can really experience something different in life. And I'm telling you, there is nothing that will challenge this more than this little thing called debt. Now, when it comes to debt, we all know that debt's probably not a good idea. Now, I know that, that for some of us, maybe we're pretty sophisticated. We say, well, well, some debt is actually good, that maybe you take out a loan because you want to buy a house. It's a good investment. 
Or maybe you take out a loan because you're starting a new investment and that's a new business and that's a great investment that will yield quite something significant. And so I understand that there are certain scenarios that there's such a thing called good debt. Most of us don't struggle with good debt, right? And so our, our problem is not good debt, it's, it's the other types of debt that sometimes can become so overwhelming and so challenging. What's interesting is, for the most part, nobody thinks that debt is really a good idea, and yet, for the most part, we're all in debt, at least to some degree. And I think there was a part of my life, it was, it was prior to getting married, it was in those years leading up to marriage and the early part of my marriage, I kind of came to the understanding is that debt's just a part of life. It's just kind of a, a necessary evil. It's just kind of something that, that we're all a part of. And I think I bought into that lie as a myth in my own journey. I mean, kind of remember when I was uh, dating Lindsay, we, it, our relationship was getting pretty serious, and so uh, I decided that, that we were getting to the place that I was gonna propose to be married. Now, at the time, I didn't have a lot of money. That's an overstatement. I didn't have three nickels to rub together. I was, I was dirt poor at the time. Uh, I, I loved this woman. I was excited to be married, but I started thinking about, man, I've got to... I gotta start doing things that married people do. And so I decided I was gonna buy my soon-to-be fiance, I was gonna buy her a ring. It was gonna be a nice ring, not an elaborate ring, but it was gonna be a, a nice ring as a token of my affection and love and commitment to her. The challenge is I didn't have money to buy a nice ring, so what did I do? I charged it, cha-ching, right? I found somebody who'd give me a loan for that bad boy, and so I went ahead and charged it. I thought I could pay it off on a monthly basis in the coming months, it would be just fine. And she thankfully said yes when I presented her that ring, and so we started on the path that we were you know, moving toward marriage. I remember at the time I started considering my living situation. Uh, at the time I had only lived in an apartment in, in, in my life, which was just fine, it had served me well, but I became convinced that married people have houses. And I needed to buy a house. It's kind of a moronic thing to think at the time, but that, for whatever reason, is what I thought. So I thought, I need to buy us a house. The challenge is, I didn't have money to buy a house. So what did I do? Cha-ching, take out a loan, baby. And so I didn't buy an elaborate house. We bought a townhome. The challenge is, I couldn't afford the townhome. And back at the time, uh, the banks would loan you more money than you probably should have borrowed. And so that was the situation I found myself in. Uh, the, the challenge was, I was moving from a small apartment to a, a townhome. I didn't have enough furniture to furnish this townhome. I didn't need to furnish every room, but I didn't even own a couch or a love seat at the time, and so I went to the furniture store. It was 12 months interest only, right? I didn't have enough money to buy a couch and a love seat, but what did I do? Come on, you're with me now, right? Cha-ching, now take out the loan. And if that wasn't enough, I started realizing that my now bride, a couple years in, she was driving this clunker of a car. It was about 15 years old. Uh, it was a Honda, you know, 200,000 miles on. The thing was still running just fine, but it was, it was old. My wife deserves something better than that, I thought. The truth was, I just wanted a new car, and I could justify it by giving it to my wife. And so we didn't buy a new car. We just bought a newer version of the car. Uh, the challenge is, I didn't have enough money to buy a newer car, so what did I do? Come on, you're with me. Let's take out another loan, right? Here's the challenge. Over the course of about a three to four year window, I accrued so much debt that I was paying on it six to seven years later. I can't describe to you how difficult that season was in my own life. And I got myself into the mess. 
Uh, but there were so many nights that I was staying up, I was losing sleep over it. I didn't know how I was going to work my way out of it. I, I, I didn't know how I was going to pay the bills at the end of the month. There were so many months that I was running up to the end that I was running out of money before the end of the month. I know what it's like to live in the red. It was so intense. It was so pressure-filled. It was so incredibly stressful. And I finally got to the place that I thought, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a different way to do this. And so I remember very, very clearly kind of drawing a line in the sand and kind of thinking to myself, no more. I've got to find a different way to do it. And so I ran across some biblical principles, this really powerful class that really changed my perspective of everything and ultimately led my life to greater freedom. And so if you've ever found yourself kind of living in the red and you're kind of just sick and tired of being sick and tired, uh, I'm glad that you're here this weekend and my hope and prayer is that maybe we can learn some biblical principles that you can realize that life doesn't have to be the way it currently is. There is hope, there is opportunity, there is freedom. And so if we wanna be people who live in the freedom that God wants to extend to us, here's the first principle we need to learn. We've gotta be people who learn to discover the truth. We gotta discover the truth. Now, as we think about discovering the truth, I, I ran across this, this proverb. It's, it's, it's recorded for us in the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 22. The words are gonna show up on the screen. Help me out with the highlighted word. Here's what Proverbs says. It says, the borrower is the? The borrower is the servant of the lender. Uh, there's another translation that says the borrower is the slave of the lender. That's pretty harsh language. But basically what it's saying is this principle that, that when we find ourselves in the position of the borrower, if we borrow so much, we find ourselves in bondage. We find ourselves overwhelmed. Sometimes the place where it's debilitating, like it is, it is the furthest away from being free as possible, right? And the Bible reminds us of this principle and none of us want to live that way. None of us want to experience that. But the question becomes, how did we get here and what do we do about it? Because if I don't understand how I got here, I likely might get here again. And so I gotta, I gotta learn how we got here. And so I wanna talk about two different terms that sometimes we think go together, but I would argue they really don't go together at all. Which kinda got me thinking about things that don't really go together. I ran across a couple of pictures uh, this week on the internet that I found funny, things that don't quite go together. Uh, here's the first picture, this is in a strip mall. You got Weight Watchers right next to the bakery. <laughs> things that don't quite go together. Uh, here, here's the second picture. This one's a little harder to see. This is a sushi restaurant right next to an aquarium. <laughs> now, the third one, I don't know if you know this, but Ben and Jerry's is putting out a new flavor of ice cream, and it's this. It's orange juice and toothpaste ice cream. I don't know if that's real or not, but I found the picture, and I thought it was really funny. You know, things that, things that don't really go together. Now, I wanna, I wanna show you two different terms that sometimes we look at and we think, well, these things, these things, they go together. And sometimes we even think these things are actually the same thing. And it's what I'm gonna call standard of living and quality of life. Now, I was actually talking to somebody this week about this message and they heard those terms and they're like, well, well, aren't those the same thing? And I'm gonna suggest to you today that they're actually very different things. They kind of connect together, but one doesn't necessarily determine the other. Now, when I talk about standard of living, here's what I'm saying, is that, that every single day, we have just a myriad of decisions of the standard of living we choose. Now, when I say standard of living, I'm talking about what level of niceness do we need to find happiness in life, right? 
And so there's a myriad of these decisions. So for example, when you decide to go out to eat, at what level do you want to spend money when you go out to eat? Do I need to go to a steakhouse? Can I settle for something in the, the, the line of chilies? Or am I on a Taco Bell budget, right? It's kind of a, it's kind of a sta uh, standard of living question. Uh, when I look to you know, buy a house, uh, do I need to live in an apartment? Uh, can I buy a townhome? Do I need a single family home? Or do I need that mansion with an ocean view, right? You know, so kind of a standard living type of, of question. Uh, when, when I think about, you know, standard of living in, in, when it comes to the car that I drive, am I okay with driving an old clunker? Uh, do I need to have something a little bit newer? Do I need to buy a, buy a brand new Honda or do I want to drive a Mercedes, right? And so there's these standard of living questions and there's a million decisions that we make regarding the standard of living that we want to choose to live. Now, what we sometimes think is that if we increase our standard of living, that it immediately begins to increase our quality of life. That if I just have more of the right things and the necessary things, if I just kind of have more of these things, then my quality of life will also grow with my standard of living. The challenge is, it's not true. Especially when, in order to increase our standard of living, we start spending money that we don't actually have. And so in other words, I may want to go to Paris, but my budget says I need to go to Pahrump. <laughs> right? I hear it's a great spot this time of year. <laughs> and what ends up happening is we start increasing our standard of living using this thing called debt. And my friends, sometimes we incur so much debt that we literally have debt up to our eyeballs. Literally. But notice what happened. In order to increase our standard of living, we actually compromised our quality of life. What makes up our quality of life? It's things like joy, fun, low stress, low pressure, happiness. And a lot of times when we increase our debt to increase our standard of living, we erode the things that we actually want the most in life. It doesn't have to be this way. A lot of us choose to live this way, but it doesn't have to be this way. Uh, I, I read a book recently, it was called The Millionaire Next Door, and, and basically the premise of the author says that, that not every millionaire lives in a high-rise mansion, a penthouse, you know, in, in Manhattan. That a lot of millionaires live in very everyday, average neighborhoods. They're, they're your, your own neighbor. And the reason they live in your neighborhood is because they choose to live in a very different way than this picture. Instead, what they do is this, is they decide that they want to live differently, and instead of going to Paris... They go to Pahrump. And, and in, instead of driving a new car that they probably could, they, they settle for a used car. Uh, instead of living in a house that, that they could get a loan that the bank would give them, they choose to live below their means. And those who intentionally begin to live below their means, they start finding out that it actually decreases their standard of living, but they do it very intentionally. But what they actually increase in their, their life is this a thing called margin. 
And the more margin I have in life, typically speaking, the greater my quality of life. Because I've got far less pressure, I've got far less stress, I've got, I don't have the boot on my neck anymore, I've got plenty to, to pay the bills at the end of the month. My friends, this is a picture of freedom. That's what freedom looks like. And I believe in a God who wants you to be free. I don't believe in a God who wants us to be bound, to feel in bondage, to be stressed out, to not, to not know, you know where, where to go. I believe in a God who wants to provide this, this biblical clarity and this biblical wisdom because God wants us to live a life free of bondage. God wants us to live in the freedom he created us to experience. And so for some of us, it requires an entire paradigm shift for us to embrace that which God wants to extend us. We've got to discover the truth. Now, now, for those of us who are here that, that would not yet consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I hope you see this as really good financial advice. And here's what I want you to know, that you may not yet believe in a God, but I want you to know there's a God who still believes in you. And I want you to know that there's a God who, who wants you to experience freedom, right? Whether you believe in it, it's a God who wants to, you to experience freedom. And so at the very least, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I just hope that you embrace this as good advice that will lead you to greater freedom. Now, for those of you who would call yourself a follower of Jesus, this is not just good advice. This is a spiritual mandate. This is really important. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus actually talks about money more than he does any other subject. He talks about it more than prayer. He talks about it more than heaven. He talks about it more than eternal life. He talks about money all the time. Why does Jesus talk about money all the time? It's because there's so many different pitfalls that we can fall into that, that Jesus is trying to help us have the wisdom necessary to avoid the pitfalls so that we can live in the life of freedom that he came to extend to us. But if we're gonna be people who really lean into what Jesus has for us in our life, we not only need to discover the truth, here's the second piece, we've got to learn to choose your master. Choose your master. Jesus says some tough things when it comes to money. Is, that, is it okay if I share with you some things that Jesus says? You gotta buckle your seatbelt a little bit for, for sometimes Jesus' words. But here we go, Matthew chapter six, Jesus' most famous message, famous sermon. In it, he kind of reframes perspective of what it really means to experience the life that is truly life. And in it, he talks about money a little bit. Here's one of the things he says. He says this, Matthew chapter six, help me out with the highlighted words. He says this, no one can serve to for you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. Now here's what Jesus is getting at. Jesus is saying there is nothing that will rival God for the throne of your heart more than money. That's a powerful statement. He's not even saying Satan is the greatest rival to God for the throne of your heart. He says it's actually money. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say you can't love both God and success. He doesn't say you can't love both God and power. He doesn't say you can't love both God and the patriots, although I'm pretty sure you can't love both God and the patriots. <laughs> he says you can't serve both God and money. Why is that? Here's why is because when it comes to material things, if we're not careful, we will begin to look to them for things that only God can provide. 
there's three that really come to mind for me of the things that we do that we look to money to do things for us that really only God can provide. And what we find out is when we look to money for that, it falls so woefully short. One of the things that we look to money for at times is we look to money to give us satisfaction. And maybe that's kind of what we were talking about here earlier, that, that if we can get certain things that, that gives us a little bit of satisfaction. Here's the truth. When, when we buy something really nice, does it satisfy? Yeah, right? At least for a little bit. You know, when we first make the purchase, I mean, it feels really good. It feels really awesome. That's before the bill comes, but it feels really good, right? And so we, we sometimes we will look to money to give us a sense of satisfaction, and it does. It's just temporary. It's just fleeting. It's like trying to hold on to water. It eventually will slide through your fingers. And, and it doesn't actually give us long-term, long-lasting, eternal satisfaction because that only comes from God. Sometimes we don't look to money for satisfaction. We look to money for security. Uh, this is the thing that challenges my heart the most, to be honest with you. Now, I know it probably sounds like, by the way I described my journey earlier, that uh, uh, I, I spend a lot of money. I'm actually more of a saver than a spender, believe it or not. And, and really, saving for me is less about just being wise and being, being frugal and putting money away, that kind of thing. Really, for me, the reason I've become so much of a saver is I look to money to give me a sense of security. Uh, that I wanna know I'm gonna be okay. I wanna know that I can, I can weather the rainy day, if you will. There's nothing wrong with wisdom when it comes to saving. The challenge is, at times, where my heart goes south is when I look at the bank statement and that number can never be high enough because it never gives me that source of security that I want it to have. And there's never enough. There always needs to be more. And it, and it can really send my own heart sideways because I'm looking to money to give me something that only God can ultimately give me. Security. For some of us, we don't look to, to money for satisfaction or security. We actually look to money for significance. Because sometimes we get to the place that we feel like our self-worth is measured by our net worth. And we feel like if we don't have, that means that we are not that our value is somehow hindered or it's derived by, by that. And so we don't spend money for the sake of satisfaction. We believe if we don't have that, that we're not worth as much as the person who does. And so we look to money to give us things that ultimately God is the only one who can give us those things. We look to money for satisfaction, but it's fleeting. But God says, I, I, I want to give you the life that is truly life, an abundant life that only comes through the relationship with my son Jesus. He talks about a full life, an abundant life, a life of satisfaction that's not only temporary, but one that echoes into eternity. If you want true satisfaction, it's found in God, not in money. When it comes to security, I'm telling you, there's nothing secure about it. We've been talking about a recession coming in this country for years, and we know at some point it's around the corner. There's nothing secure about money in our economy. It just is not secure. But when you look to God, uh, Judd talked about it last week, that when you look to God, God says he will take care of his children. You can take it to the bank. You can guarantee it. He will take care of you in the here and now. He will take care of you in, in the eternal world. God's security is eternal. We can rest in him. We gotta look to him as the master. When it, when it comes to significance, we will never be able to buy our way to earn and achieve our value because our value is of eternal worth and it comes to us by our creator who thought us up, who gave it to us when we were born. 
You have worth because you are his. And so the question becomes, what master do you choose? Jesus says, you don't get the choice to not choose a master. You will choose a master. You will look to either God or you will look to money to provide these things in your life. Which do you choose? One that kind of promises but doesn't deliver, but one that promises and will deliver from now and into eternity. What master will you choose? And so Jesus says, choose your master. Because with every financial issue, what Jesus is saying, it's not just a financial issue, it's a spiritual issue, it's a heart issue. We have to be changed from the inside in order to experience something different on the outside. Did you know that this is why Jesus talks about the the discipline, the spiritual discipline of giving? Jesus doesn't talk about giving because God wants something from you. God's not trying to twist your arm, manipulate, trying to get something out of you. That's not God's heart. That's never been God's heart. Why does God ask us to give? Same passage, Jesus says this, because wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. That's where your heart goes. That when we give, we give to the things that I trust. I put my money with the things that I trust. And so the truth is, we give to God. Why? Because it's an expression of our trust, our commitment. It's an expression of choosing him as our master. Can I say something bold? Okay, I got three people who are giving me permission to say something bold. Are you all right? I'm gonna say something bold, and it might be somewhat offensive to some, but I think it's very, very true. It is impossible to fully trust God without financially giving to him. I know that's bold. Now, I didn't say it's impossible to believe in him, impossible to love him, impossible to serve him. It's absolutely possible to do all those things. I'm talking it's an issue of trust because if we really trust him, if we really trust him, that it requires us to put that trust into action. We give to, to God. It's an exercise of trust. It's a way that we can tangibly, practically, specifically, we choose you as master. God, I'm gonna trust you even when it doesn't make sense. And I'm gonna trust that every good thing in this world comes from you. And I'm gonna choose to give trusting that you will be who you say you are in my life. It's an exercise of trust. And that's why we create things around here just to simply try to help people when it comes to this. And so we created this, this thing that we call Generosity Rockstar. It just kind of helps people take a step when it comes to, to giving. This is not to twist your arm. This is not to manipulate you. Please don't ever give for those reasons. I want you to give because you want to give to God. I want you to give because you want to declare him as a master. I want you to declare because you're giving your life fully to him. That's why we give. And so the idea of a generosity rock star is to take a step. I hope it's not the last step you take. I hope that God you know, opens your heart and expands your life and you experience all the good things that get connected, what it looks like when we become generous and giving. I hope that God you know, blows your, your doors off beyond your wildest expectations. But I understand, we may not go from zero to 10. We need to take some steps. And so that's the idea of the generosity rock star. We, we just take a step. I'm gonna commit $20 a week, every week, and I'm gonna give it to God as an expression of my trust, love, commitment to him. And so if you've never made that decision, what are you waiting for? Choose your master. And I would encourage you to choose your master even today. And so I would encourage you to follow the direction the team gave to, to really help bring that to fruition in your life. And so we've gotta be people who discover the truth. We've gotta be people who choose your master. Here's the last thing for us. We've gotta be people who learn to fight for freedom to fight for freedom. 
I mean, I, I kind of think about it this way. If you were ever held against your will, would you be passive about that? Would you be like, oh, that's okay. I mean, I kind of want to go, but I'm okay being kind of held against my will in your presence. No, right? If we were being held against our will, we would fight for free. We'd do whatever it took to get free, and rightly so. And I think that's the proper way, again, to look at this thing called debt. It is bondage. It is holding us against our will. And if you really want to do something about it, you got to fight for it. you got to finally say, enough's enough. I, I, I'm going to experience something different. And so, again, as a way to really kind of serve and to help, we're going to offer a class. It's the same class that changed my life 10 years ago. It's the same class I took called Financial Peace University that I learned some of these biblical principles that it took me 18 months to get out of debt, but I've never been in debt since. Changed my life. Gave me a sense of freedom that I didn't even know was, was absolutely possible. And so I would encourage, if you've never been through Financial Peace University, what are you waiting for? It is the keys to freedom in your life. Make sure that you are a part of that. But let me give you a preview of a couple of principles that you're gonna learn in Financial Peace University. Some very practical steps. If you've got a pen or a phone, take it out, write this stuff down. This will really help and really serve you. Here's step number one for anybody wanting to get out of debt and experience freedom. Uh, sorry, we're gonna start with step zero. Step zero is this. Do not take on any additional debt. Kind of sounds like a no-brainer. But if you want to derail your process of getting out of debt, you actually add debt to it, right? And so you have to make the decision, I'm going to take on no additional debt. That means not a single more car payment. There's no 12 months interest-free. Like I'm going to take on no debt, zero, zilch, nada, squadoosh. You're with me, right? Like I'm going to take on no new. Once I make that decision, I draw a line in the sand, no new debt. Now I just have to deal with the old stuff. Okay? And so if we make that decision, then step number one becomes possible. Step number one is this, is I, 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 I work my best to save $1,000 as fast as I can. Now, I know that the, the term fast, I'll have to use loosely because some people can potentially put that aside quickly. Others, it will take a little bit more time. Here's the idea, is that serves as an emergency fund. That, that again, nothing will derail your mission to eradicate your debt than the unexpected expenses that come. They happen all the time in life. Car breaks down, air conditioner goes out, you know, whatever the thing happens in life. And so the idea of this emergency fund is when something happens, it doesn't derail me from getting out of debt. I have an emergency fund set aside that can address that particular issue. Now, will $1,000 uh, catch everything unexpected that comes your way? No. And so over time, you want to grow that emergency fund. But as a way to get started, it's a great, great start to try to save that to really get you on, on your way. Here's the step number two. Step number two is what's called the debt snowball. What you do is you take every debt, car, credit card, student loan, whatever your debt is outside of your mortgage, and literally list them all out from the greatest balance to the smallest balance. You list out all the minimums and make sure you pay the minimums on every single debt that you have and then take the one with the smallest balance, whatever that is, and find every additional dollar that you can find anywhere in your budget and throw it at that smallest debt. In time, you'll eradicate the smallest debt quickly. And then take the money, all the money that you're paying toward debt number two, and you roll it in to add it to the additional payment that you were making the minimum payment on debt number two. So you take the money from debt number one, roll it in, and together you combine those payments and you start paying the larger amount now at debt number two. 
Again, you'll work on that. It may take a little bit of time, but again, eventually you'll eradicate that debt. And then what do you do? You take the money you're paying for debt number one plus the money you're paying for debt number two and you roll that into debt number three. You start feeling the snowball effect, right? I know we live in Vegas, but you're still familiar with snow. You, 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 know, you, you start making a snowball and, you, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and before you know it, you've got an avalanche on your hands. When you get to debt number five, six, and seven, if you have that many, I mean, it is a windfall. It, it starts happening so, so quickly. It took my wife and I 18 months to get out of debt. But when we got out of debt, the freedom was so sweet, I don't ever want to go back. Here's step number three. Step number three is what I would call downsize. Now, when I say downsize, I'm not recommending you go from three cars to two. Uh, what I'm saying downsize is I'm saying just sell stuff, anything. Uh, you know, sell stuff that has any kind of financial value to somebody else. I mean, maybe you're selling a baseball card collection or a coin collection. Maybe you're selling jewelry or antiques. Don't sell like heirlooms because those have sentimental value and you can't get them back. So don't sell that kind of stuff, but sell anything that you can't pay off in the next 24 months. Sell the motorcycle, sell the boat, sell the car, whatever it looks like. Just start selling stuff. Make Facebook Marketplace and eBay your best friend. Sell so much stuff your kids think they might be next. <laughs> and take the money from that and start applying it to that debt snowball we just talked about. You will find freedom quicker than you thought was possible. Here's what Paul says in the book of Galatians. Paul says it this way. He says, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. I want you to know that Jesus came so that you'd be free. Like that you could truly experience freedom. That you could experience freedom, that you can turn your financial woes into financial triumphs. He wants you to experience freedom, that you can, you can be free to retire with dignity. You can be free to teach your kids how to manage uh, resources responsibly. You can, you can be free to apply money toward life-changing opportunity and really expand God's kingdom in powerful ways. I want you to be free. Christ came to set you free. Don't settle for anything less than that. Let me, let me pivot and switch gears and and say this, when it comes to the idea of debt, there's another, there's another way the Bible talks about debt. And that is the spiritual reality that, that we have a debt to God. And what we know about God is in Jesus, God eradicated that debt so that we could live eternally with him. And I mentioned those of you who are here that, that are not yet followers of Jesus, I want you to know we're we're ecstatic that you're here. Thanks for trusting us with your journey. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want you to know about a God who's eradicated your spiritual debt in Jesus. That he offers you a free gift of, of relationship with him. And I wanna give you the opportunity, if you've never given your life to follow him, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that today. So if you would, just bow your heads, close your eyes. If you wanna become a follower of him and receive the, the free gift of salvation that comes through him, I would encourage you to simply pray the words of this prayer after me. You can do that out loud or you can do that, that silent to yourself, but let's pray this prayer. Jesus, thank you for loving me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose again. Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. 
Help me overcome the challenges I'm up against. I surrender my life to you. In Christ's name. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, if, if you wanna surrender your life to him and receive this, this free gift that God makes possible through Jesus, I just wanna ask that you to acknowledge that decision by placing your hand in the air. Father, for every single person reaching out to you in this moment, Father, I just ask to be able to sense your presence, that you're a God who wants to set us free. God, allow us to experience the freedom that comes through a relationship with your son, Jesus. We pray that in his name. Amen. Let's give it up for those who made spiritual decisions today. And if you did make a spiritual decision today, I wanna let you know that we've got a free gift for you. It's just basically a guide on what it really looks like to follow Jesus. And so we got some teams up front. They love to connect with you, pray with you if that's appropriate, hand you this free gift. So make sure you connect with them before you leave. If you could keep your seats for just a moment, put your hands together for Pastor Bob. He's gonna send us All out right. today. Pastor Sean, awesome, awesome message. And I really believe there's gonna be some people set free from this message today. And if you wanna find some margin in your life, we've got F Financial Peace University coming up. Great opportunity, you can sign up in the main lobby area for that. And if God's been working on your heart to become more generous or become a generosity rock star, we can help you take that step right out in the lobby. We've got a team set up all ready to go for you. And if you wanna take some steps to grow spiritually, it all begins with First Step. It's coming up this Saturday, February 22nd from 12 to 4. You can sign up in the lobby for that. I'll be out there if you have any questions. And remember Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? Keep showing up.